Hello, everyone, and welcome to CBA's At The Bar, a podcast where we have unscripted conversations with our guests about legal news, events, topics, and other stories that we think you're going to find interesting. I'm one of your hosts today, Trisha Rich of Holland and Knight, and co-hosting the pod with me today is Maggie Mendenhall-Casey, General Counsel of the City of Chicago's Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability. Maggie, thanks for being here today. Hey, lady, I'm excited to chat with you. I am excited about today's topic. You know, I am a movie buff, so I am I am very excited to be here. Are you a Barbie girl in a Barbie world, Trish? That's the <laughs> main know. question. We are going to get into it. So uh, <laughs> joining me and Maggie today is Alexis Crawford Douglas, a partner with the global law firm of K&L Gates. Alexis sits in the Chicago office where she practices intellectual property law. She does counseling, transactions, and litigation related to trademarks, domain names, social media, and copyrights and provides strategic management of global trademark portfolios for all kinds of clients all over the world. Alexis is also a longtime CBA member and has been instrumental in a number of Chicago Bar Association projects over the years, including serving for a number of years on the planning committee for the events surrounding Women's History Month, which the CBA acknowledges each March. But for purposes of today's podcast, maybe all I really need to say is that Barbie... That Barbie is a lawyer. Alexis, welcome to the pod. (laughs) Thanks so much, you guys. Excited to be here. Very, very, very excited to have you. So we brought you on today to talk about what is now a global phenomenon. Greta Gerwig's Barbie was released on July 21st, 2023. And as we record this episode today on August 31st, just over one month later, it has broken almost more records than I can count. This is a non-exhaustive list, as I truly could not include all of them. It is the biggest opening of any movie in 2023. It is the biggest opening of any female director ever. It is the biggest opening ever for a non-sequel movie. It is the biggest opening ever for a toy-based film. It is the biggest opening ever for a movie without IMAX. It led the fourth biggest movie weekend of all time ever. It now holds the record for the biggest Monday ever for a Warner Brothers movie. It is the biggest opening weekend ever for a Warner Brothers movie. It is the highest grossing film directed by a woman ever. It is the ninth fastest film ever to reach $1 billion in revenues. On August 16th, it became Warner Brothers' highest grossing movie of all time. And six days later, it became the highest grossing movie of 2023. And as of eight days ago, it is the 14th highest grossing movie ever and is expected to crack the top 10 by the end of its box office run. And as I said, those are just a few, just a few of the records that this movie has broken. It is truly a Barbie world. And yet it's a bit of a surprise because Mattel has been famously litigious when it comes to Barbie and has protected that image both through threats of and actual litigation for decades. And we're going to get into all of that today. But first, ladies, have you seen the movie? Of course. (laughs) I had to see it in preparation for talking to you. I'd been planning on it. I actually had a really sweet story. of We were on vacation with my mom and and my daughter. And so we had three generations of Barbie girls uh, that went to the movie uh, to see it together. And that was pretty fun. And what'd you think? I it was highly entertaining, highly entertaining, and two of us cried at the end. So that's an effective movie, I think. We won't make you tell us which two. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see the movie. I have to make it admission, uh, but I do have to give a big shout out to Greta Gerwig, a fellow Barnard College graduate. Shout out to BC Barnard College. <laughs> Women getting it done. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I remember first hearing about this movie being in the works, and I rolled my eyes very hard. I thought it was a total joke. Yeah, I I have to say I did, too, until it came out. And then I started seeing, like, everybody I knew you see on social media, like, everybody was posting about dressing in pink and going to the movie. And I'm like, wait, what is is this? (laughs) So they did a great job marketing ahead of time. I, I think that was, you know, a credit to the success of the film. Well, I haven't seen the movie. I have put my daughter in one of those Barbie boxes to take photos. I've posed in a number of those Barbie boxes. I love the marketing. War, in fact, the all pink outfit to um, the board of managers inauguration. I really admire how uh, they've been marketing and publicizing this movie. 
I loved the run-up to the movie where Margot Robbie was doing all the press in the classic Barbie costumes. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was gorgeous. It was just a stroke of genius. She wore it, all of them, so well. She really has just embodied this character. Yeah, she really did. Yeah, and, and my understanding is that she had an interest in, in producing this movie or getting this movie across the line for years. Um, I think maybe even before Greta Gerwig uh, was on board, and you could really see her passion and, and dedication to the concept um, throughout the whole publicity run. One of the pieces that I thought was also kind of interesting is as you're watching the movie, I hadn't looked into it a lot beforehand. I just was like, I'm going to go in fresh. You know, hadn't read a lot of the news. But um, Mattel was sort of, they were cooperative. They didn't have a lot of direction, I read some articles saying, but they allowed this to go on. So there's not going to be any lawsuits between Mattel and the producers, (laughs) right? But you know, I think they did have a little bit of input and things like that from what I saw in an interview with the with the CEO who, you know, the, of course, the movie kind of makes fun of. But I just think that's genius, too, because it's like it made it a cultural event. And now everybody's thinking about Barbie. I'm like, Mom, where are my Barbies? Get them, let's get them out. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so I did the opening day Barbenheimer push. I Oh, nice. Yeah, I left work early. I did a five o'clock viewing of Oppenheimer. So that went from five to eight. And then I saw Barbie at 930. And I would have sat through both of them again immediately. If you were like, Trish, you got to sit in a movie theater for another five and a half hours. I would have said, okay. (laughs) I thought they were both really incredibly well done. I mean, two very different kinds of movies. And my my husband was supposed to go with me, but he ended up, he was on trial and he thought it was going to settle and it didn't. So he couldn't come. And so I took my friend Jackie and we went. And then when my husband got back from Tampa on his trial, he was like, I still want to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> did you see so, go? <laughs> yeah, we went and saw Oppenheimer again. And then we went and saw Barbie. So we did not do it the second time. I did not do them back to back. But I've now seen each of them twice, actually. Um, so w- some amount of that $1 billion is me. <laughs> <laughs> Two times. I was surprised by the people that I've talked to who've actually seen it, like one of the heads of our IP group. He's like, oh, the Barbie. Yeah, totally. That sounds great. He's like, I saw it. I was like, you saw it? He's like, my wife wanted to see it. So I went with her and I was like, that's awesome. (laughs) You know, you guys are making me so jealous. Those are both movies that I want to see. And Trish, at this point, you've seen them not once, but but twice. Uh, I also think that this is a, a great business move for Mattel and Barbie, right? Like, The Barbie dolls, as we all know, as public knowledge, have not been selling as well as of late. But to try to reformulate the thinking around Barbie and that it's not just the dolls, but it's a whole universe like Star Wars, like Marvel. They can keep cranking them out and then also produce all of this merch that us adults want to buy and be involved in the world. Yeah. I got to tell you, it's just this incredible thing. When I So an opening day when I went to see it... um, I went to the movie theater in my neighborhood. I live in Lakeview, so I saw it at the Alamo Draft House. So I saw, like I said, Oppenheimer first. The movie theater was full of men and women wearing pink. <laughs> and so we all were doing the exact same thing. We were all sitting through three hours of Oppenheimer, taking an hour and a half break, and then going back in to watch Barbie. And I will say that, you know, my neighborhood abuts or includes, I should say, the North Halstead neighborhood, one of Chicago's historically gay neighborhoods. But I did not see a gender difference in my movie theater. I would guess it was 50% men, 50% women, right? Same here, yeah. Yeah, and it was just fascinating how enthusiastic people were for both of these films. And so, I mean, the funny thing is, is like the Alamo Draft House has parking validation, but you can only stay four hours. So I had to you know, go out in between, drive my car around the block and go back in. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it was worth it. It was just um, there were people lined up out the door to take those pictures in the, in the little Barbie box. And then when I saw it again the second time, like several weeks later, it was the same thing. People were still wearing their pink 
Barbenheimer shirts and and the marketing of these two films together, I think, is part of what's driven the success of it. But really, of both of them, but really, if anything, Barbie has, I think, really helped Oppenheimer in a way that is probably not going the other way. Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely, you know, and I saw it, I actually saw it in a small independent theater in South Haven, Michigan. It was raining on the day that, uh, a Monday that we were up there. The day before I was like, I think it's going to rain. I'm going to get tickets ahead, you know, just in case. And my mom's like, come on, nobody's going to be there. Who's in town right now? Because it's like August after most schools started. And the theater was totally packed. It was sold out. It was like sold out 20 minutes before the show for this tiny little theater. We got seats in like the second row. So we're like looking up <laughs> their noses, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but it was also like a good mix, like gender mix, like even in Michigan, like a good mix of people. It was less pink because everyone was kind of drenched from the rain, you know, but there was still some pink. It wasn't, you know, as much of the like uh, marketing, but still everybody's like crowding in there all wet and <laughs> soggy. I bet on yeah. a day like that, you're really getting a, a hit of dopamine and watching, watching the totally. movie, right? Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I watch um, Architectural Digest put out a um, like a five minute clip on YouTube where they showed the set for Barbie and the Barbie home and just even watching that, yeah. I just felt like, oh, this is so beautiful. Um, Beyond it being beautiful, it really makes you think because they're trying to make it look like a Barbie house, not a real house. Like they have the little stickers and all of that. So as I continue to hear you, my, my jealousy grows and grows. I'm turning <laughs> green over here, ladies. Well, the week before it came out, I just, you know, I get my nails done every few weeks. I was in my nail salon getting my nails done and I looked around and every single person there was getting pink nails. Pink, Nobody was awesome. doing, <laughs> Nobody it. was doing a non-pink color. So it's just, I mean, it's really taken the world by storm. I mean, they could have sold nail polish ahead of time. Barbie has a trademark actually for the Pantone color of the pink for Barbie pink. You know, they could do nail polish. I'm sure they have in the past, but like, everything. You know, yeah, I think it. they did an OPI collection, and that's definitely something I. Mm -hmm, and that's something yeah. I definitely want to chat with you about later, like Tiffany blue, Barbie mm -hmm. pink, Louboutin red, like that type of stuff is super interesting to me. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about for all of the history and the lore behind the Barbie brand. I understand, Alexis, that it it's kind of started with a lawsuit, right? Right. So the story behind, you know, the Barbie doll, as you hear in the movie at the end, that Ruth Handler is, was the inventor of the Barbie doll, and she created it to be a doll that her daughter could play with that wasn't, you know, the traditional baby dolls. And so it looks more like a woman. And they'd gotten the inspiration when they were on vacation. And I guess she had been pitching this idea for a long time. And Mattel was like, no, no, no nobody's interested in that. Um, they were on vacation in the Swiss Alps and Handler and her daughter saw this German doll in a window called Build Lily. And the doll was kind of a perfect representation um, of the idea that she had came to Mattel with, which was like a woman, let's do a doll that looks like a woman rather than just like a baby doll. And people can use it as sort of inspiration and aspirational. So, you know, went back to Mattel, created the doll. Of course, you, know, you could do something like that. And it's, Maybe taking someone's idea, <laughs> you know, but I mean, she had the idea before, um, but really the first lawsuit was a patent infringement suit that uh, the company behind the Bill Lilly doll, Griner and Hauser, brought for um, the patent on the hip joint of the doll. So this was the first doll that had like women's legs, right? Like elongated legs and other features. And so I think that case was dismissed and um, Mattel convinced them to sign a contract to sell their patents and copyright. Um, and the different, you know, to nerd out here on IP law, patents are only valid for, you only get the monopoly for a short period of time. And copyright too, you know, it's, it's a longer period, but, you know, so that patent, you know, you get it for a little bit, copyright's longer. The genius, I think, behind Mattel has been, Trademark is a type of protection. So patent it covers the invention, you know, the hip joint and how it moves. If it was novel and um, non-obvious, it was a new way of, you know, making dolls. Copyright would cover 
what the doll looks like, you know, the, her mold, uh, her facial features and, and things like that. So the doll as a whole, you know, maybe packaging sometimes, anything written. It's, it's sort of the same thing that covers music, right? And, or any kind of artwork, anything put down in tangible form. And then trademark is what covers a brand. Right. So Barbie, the name Barbie for dolls, Barbie for accessories, Barbie for dream houses, you know, Barbie for everything else. And so the kind of neat thing, I don't know, I'm just totally nerding out on this is, is that, you know, sort of started with this patent, limited monopoly idea, copyright. And Mattel's brought a lot of copyright cases over the years that we'll talk about later, I'm sure. And then one of the greatest ideas I think probably Ruth Handler Mattel had was registering the trademark for that Barbie mark back in 1959 was uh, the first trademark registration for the Barbie doll and accessories came in 1964 and then toys and some more things started coming in the 80s when I think Barbie was trying to revamp itself and sort of get more relevant. So it's kind of neat to see you know their IP registrations and how over the years uh, that's followed what you know, the company has done with the doll too. So you guys let me get like really into this. <laughs> no, no, we, we, we appreciate it. That, I mean, that's, that's why, why we're we, here. That's why we brought on the IP lawyer. <laughs> I, I appreciate you even talking about the fact that it was about the hip joint. I, in looking into, didn't realize that it was something as specific as a patent for a hip joint that was the genesis of one of um, really these first litigations or lawsuit. My question is about Barbie and like the development of Barbie trademark. How does a brand or Barbie in particular establish a trademark that is legally protectable? Do they just go down to some government office and say, we want to trademark Barbie? How does it become like the spirit and the legally protected spirit that we know of today with the pink and the writing and all of those things? There's a couple ways really to do it. And I'm sure back in 1959, it was actually an earlier trademark law. But once, you know, they started selling the Barbie product, you file an application and for Barbie for particular goods or services. In this case, it was Barbie for dolls. And yeah, so it's usually through you can you can get trademark rights by simply, you know, selling a product in commerce and people start associating the mark with your company. But it's much much better to get them by registering or to register your trademark uh, with the trademark office because that gives you sort of a presumption of validity and ownership of the mark. And so, you know, like I said, they did that very early on. So there could, and then that allows you to have rights across the United States. So say she had just sold them in I actually don't know where they lived, but let's say New York, because they were in New York quite a lot. Uh, Mattel has been. If it was only in New York and somebody else had a Barbie product in California, you know, at that time, and then you're like, well, we sold them here, you sold them there, you know, you're carving up rights. So by getting a federal registration, you have nationwide nationwide rights and nationwide priority. And so, yeah, so they did that pretty early on. And that goes for any brand these days. You know, you're, and, and now these days, if you have a plan for a brand, you can file an intent to use based application. So say I have a plan to market a doll named X and, you know, you file an application to put yourself in line. Eventually to get a registration, you have to prove that you were actually, you have sold the doll. I see. But yeah, so that's sort of how the process goes. And, you know, they've used those registrations really to enforce Mattel's rights in the Barbie brand from like, you know, all kinds of cases, you, you, some of these famous cases, but also in digging into this, I was looking, there's, you know, a lot of counterfeit cases. There's a lot of, you know, and these days, one of the issues that's super um, hot for a lot of brands is enforcement online, right? Like different online sales platforms that you, you know, you can buy and sell products on will sometimes have counterfeit goods or products that, you know, have the trademark in the description or the name. And you're like, no, 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 you can't use our trademark to sell those products. Right. right? And so Barbie's, or sorry, Mattel's had to take action against those two. I love that you use the word enforce because um, it does seem as if Mattel has been very diligent about protecting their IP rights and making sure that they are not diluted. I think <laughs> that's the technical yeah. term that I learned, dilution. No, it is. Yeah, no, that's absolutely, dilution is actually the word for it. And, you know, I have no insight into these cases other than just, you know, the research we've done um, to prepare for this and just to be like a, kind of an avid follower <laughs> of the brand. <laughs> but um, it, dilution is a big thing because that's for famous marks, like Barbie is famous. Absolutely. Right. And and so 
everybody knows about it and especially now with this, this marketing. And so diluting the brand is, I'm sure, a concern for the company. And it's how you have a case like the recent one uh, in September where uh, Wrap Snacks uh, came out with some potato chips. It looks like Barbie <laughs> barbecue <laughs> honey. <laughs> Before we get there, and we will yeah. after our first break. You know, IP law is not my forte, and it's just not a thing I even really, I think, have a strong understanding of, uh, except to know that I would bring in an IP lawyer. So I am, the, <laughs> right. I am, a, you know, a lawyer, but just a little bit of a lay person here when I talk about yeah. IP law. What I want to say is, if you look at the photo of the built Lily doll, and you look at a photo of the first Barbie. Those two things look remarkably similar to me, particularly in face structure. I mean, height, you know, like the build of the doll, the leg, the the arms, everything. I mean, I'm just like a regular consumer, but I look at these two things and I'm like, uh, yeah, it looks like they copied it. You know, I, that was probably part of the dispute back in the day. <laughs> and I'm sure that these days, if the tables were turned, right... I'm, I'm sure there would, you know, be some action happening there. And yeah, you know, like I was looking at it too, because the face, the, the eyes have that same like 1950s, like winged. Yep, right? the cat eyes, the high cheekbone. I mean, the structure of the face looks not identical, but very substantially similar. Yeah, and and that would be a copyright issue, right? So the what the doll looks like and, and uh, sort of if you think of it as a sculpture, like a sculptural work, mm. that would be, and I'm sure there are arguments have been made over the years or that, you know, you would argue that, yeah, it's substantially, did you say substantially similar? Because that, that is that the standard is that the, right, oh, for, for copyright infringement. Apparently <laughs> like, I do know copyright law. <laughs> See, you might have listened in some class in law school. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, with that, let's go ahead and take our first break. And we'll be back in a minute just to talk about some more of these lawsuits. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Getting legal malpractice insurance doesn't have to be complicated. Let CBA Insurance Agency do the heavy lifting for you. We shop to the top carriers to find the best rates. Get a free quote by visiting cbainsurance.org. And we are back. So right before the break, Alexis, you started to talk to us about the Wrap Snacks case. So what happened? So in September 2022, um, well, actually, that's when the case ended, but to the beginning of last year sometime, Wrap Snacks came out with potato chips called Barbecue Honey. So B-R-B-I-E dash Q-U-E Honey Truffle. And they had Nicki Minaj's name on the front of the bag and an image that, you know, kind of looked like her with a Barbie t-shirt on. And Mattel had sued for trademark infringement you know, on the grounds that people would confuse the snacks or be confused into believing that the snacks came from Mattel or were, you know, usually in these cases, it's like authorized by Mattel or they sponsored it or something. Their argument was that Barbie, you know, Mattel licenses the Barbie brand to other food and snack products. Wrap Snacks allegedly never got a license and or asked permission to use the mark, you know, in connection with these products. So they sued for trademark infringement. Unfortunately, you know, we don't, as with all of these, you know, in the IP world and trademark world, most cases settle. <laughs> you don't get to go to trial that much because sometimes it's just not economically, most of the time, it's not economically feasible to just continue litigating um, when you could, you know, enter into a licensing agreement, perhaps. 
And, you know, who knows what happened here? I have no idea. But my guess is that perhaps something like that. You know, they finally came to some kind of uh, resolution on that front. So when I was reading about this particular case, it flagged like another issue or, you know, just like inquiry for me. So I know the wrap snacks, you go in the corner store, you go in the gas station, they have wrap snacks that are have like Snoop Dogg or Fetty Wap on, on the front um, promoting like a particular flavor of chips. And in this case with the Nicki Minaj barbecue chips, part of Nicki Minaj's persona is Barbie. Like I went as Nicki Minaj one year for Halloween with the pink wig, a little, she would wear a Barbie chain early in her career. That was and is a big part of her persona. She released a song called Black Barbies. And I'm curious about like what, if any type of protection there is for Nicki Minaj to utilize Barbie in that fashion? Is it just, you know, good marketing for for Mattel and Barbie so they decided not to go after her? Do you have any thoughts on just like a artist really ingraining a trademark into their own persona? Yeah, I think that's where the fuzzy line of IP comes in, right? And we'll see that in, in these other cases. You know, in cases where somebody was selling another doll with Barbie on it, or like these counterfeit cases where it's like clearly a Barbie doll, but not the Barbie doll, you know, that's uh, that's infringement. Like, that's really clear cut. But when somebody's taking the brand and making some kind of commentary on it or, you know, using it in their own way, um that's where it gets a little bit fuzzier to enforce. Uh, and I did see somewhere in the background that they had come, Barbie had done a doll line with Nicki Minaj at some mm. point 10 or so years ago. And they donated the doll, like the proceeds or the dolls to charity. So I had seen that in, in some article online. Hopefully it's true. So I assume that at some point, you know, they had a chat because of course, you know, like Mattel, why would you not want you know, a little bit more publicity for your brand. But also, like, as an artist, you're allowed to talk about brands or you're allowed to talk about things and, you know, and do that. And you can't, it's a whole free speech idea, kind of, right? And, like, it, it's hard to stop people. So that is where it, where it gets a little bit fuzzy. Nicki Minaj and Mattel and Barbie are friends and fans of each other. In fact, Nicki was featured on the soundtrack for the new Barbie movie, um, That's right. Yeah. Right, right. Which is actually a remix of the Aqua song, Barbie Girl, which Mattel initially sued MCA Records over. So it's just so many different like layers and intersections of the IP there between Nicki Minaj, Barbie, and then the Aqua Barbie Girl song. I don't know if you wanted to to speak on that sure. case just briefly, Alexis. Yeah, well, I was just going to start by saying, like, for the people that have never heard it, because I would suspect there were are a lot of people that don't know this song. True. But just to give our listeners just a minute of backstory on that, you know, the year is 1997. Little Trish is a junior in high school, <laughs> now a rising senior. <laughs> and this band comes out with this song called Barbie. Is, is it called Barbie Girl? I think it's called it's Barbie, Barbie Girl. Barbie yeah, World, Barbie maybe. Girl. Barbie. And it's... Uh, satirical and unflattering in a number of ways. But if you've ever heard it, it's the, you know, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Um, and this will mark the first time I think anybody's ever saying on the podcast. And I can't believe <laughs> Life it's in plastic. me. Right. And, now, um, not too many words. Not too many words. That's a whole nother IP issue. We are, right. I, I hope that Jen has our, our insurance policy in place here. Fair, fair use. Fair use here. <laughs> We're just taking a little bit to but, reference um, the song. And I remember, of course, you know, the video coming out for it. And I think Mattel brought pretty swift action. On, on that song and then did not use it in the movie but as Maggie noted had Nicki Minaj remix it into a different song that they did use in the movie so with that as background Alexis what happened there? 
Sure. I have to say I was in seventh grade and I was, I, I just vividly remember this song and I can tell you, I can still sing all the words. I'm not going to, but I totally <laughs> can. Actually, now that you mention it, I too was also in seventh grade. I just had a lapse of memory. Yes. Yeah, yeah no, no, that's okay. Um, <laughs> now I am I a couple like, of years older than you, Alexis. Oh, yeah, but that's okay. I didn't mean to like age it, but I'm like, as you know, like a middle school, like teen girl who's going to like obsessed it with music and all that stuff. So you know, and, and that, this is like where that fuzzy line comes in because the song really was like, you know, life in plastic, it's fantastic, and it was sort of making fun. And it is the idea, I think, that the movie hits on too. Over the years, people have villainized Barbie and said that, you know, it's an unattainable standard for women and things like that. And the Aqua song was kind of playing on that same idea. And so, you know, of course, Mattel it did sue and claim that the violated the Barbie trademark and turned Barbie into a sex object and referring to her as a blonde bimbo. When they alleged that the song violated their copyrights and trademarks of Barbie, and this is another interesting one, and that its lyrics tarnished the reputation of their trademark and impinged on their own marketing plans. You know, on the other side, I haven't read all of the pleadings in this case because, you know, it was a long time ago, but, um. <laughs> you were in seventh grade. I, right. I was in seventh grade. I wasn't quite <laughs> thinking about law school yet. On the other hand, sometimes things like this bring attention to the brand in a way that it wouldn't have had, you know, otherwise. And so sometimes, you know, when you're weighing these kinds of claims, you have to think about that too. You know, and so MCA Entertainment, the producer, they contested the claims and accused Mattel of defamation uh, because they Mattel had likened them to a bank robber. And so that was kind of interesting, you know. And then there's, you know, a whole bunch of procedural uh, things that happen. They moved to dismiss the complaint for failure to state a claim. And on appeal, the Ninth Circuit, which hears a lot of IP cases, kind of the Ninth Circuit and the Second Circuit are the big, you know, where most of the trademark copyright cases, especially copyright in the Ninth Circuit, are brought. Um, and they ruled that the song was protected as a parody, you know, under the doctrine of nominative fair use, which means fair use, which means you just are using enough of the mark to bring it to people's minds. Um, but they weren't like Aqua wasn't selling another doll, right? They were just referring to the name Barbie in their song. Uh, so they're not even really you know, competing products and, and that kind of idea. Um, and under the doctrine of nominative fair use and the First Amendment, right? And Judge Alex Kaczynski had sort of a famous um, opinion here that we all read in law school if you take you know, IP classes. And at the end of the ruling, he says, the parties are advised to chill. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. So it was kind of, a, it was a fun read. I, I do remember that. So, you know, artists can have their own commentary on, you know, the brands and things like that. And our law allows for that. So one of the things you mentioned, Alexis, you said something briefly in there about how Barbie portrays this unattainable, like not only an unattainable woman and how women should be, but also like this ideal that's like has been controversial over the years. Right. It's it's been both in the movie, I think, grapples with this over and over again, that it's both. Yeah, that it's both this empowerment, like Barbies can be everything. And there's so many points in the movie where you know, where Barbie says, I didn't know men could be on the Supreme Court. And there's like all right. of these. Like <laughs> I was all loving of, that. <laughs> right. <laughs> all of these places where, you know, Barbie is both this symbol of empowerment and then in the other world, in the real world, really struggles with the way that the Barbie image has helped to perpetuate stereotypes about women that can be harmful And this comes to a crescendo in a scene where she goes to find her girl in the real world. And by the way, we should have started this episode by saying we are going to talk about the movie and there are going to be spoilers. Um, Yeah, yeah. We should add that in. (laughs) And for some reason, Maggie came anyway, which is great. But um, (laughs) it's a crescendo in this movie of this point where she goes to the middle school to meet the girl that she thinks is like her human in the real world universe Sasha and Sasha just tears into her and gives her this like long speech about how she is, you know, she's been holding women back. And Margot Robbie in a in a place of incredible acting, she, you know, you see her tear up. She's obviously very moved. I mean, 
she's incredible in this role. I I will say I think Ryan Gosling is really a just a real standout, but Margot Robbie really, really does a great job. But in this scene, she's like very moved by this young girl who's telling her like, no, Barbie, you are everything that's wrong with America. And you have led to all of these problems over time. And it's clearly something that Barbie has never thought of before ever. Some of it I hadn't thought of either, I'll say. <laughs> and she's like, like oh. 14. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, the kids are all right. They're, they're the next yeah. generation. We, we made just it through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the most fascinating thing about that scene is something I read later that those four girls are the original Bratz girls and they share the names and the aesthetics of the four original Bratz girls, which were created in a part to be like this anti-Barbie force. And so that led to a lawsuit. And that's the next lawsuit I want to ask you about, Alexis. And so I didn't know that at the time. I am too old to have been playing with dolls when the Bratz came out. But Sasha, who's the, you know, one of the main characters, she is both shares the aesthetic and the name of the original Sasha Bratz doll. So can you talk a little bit about that lawsuit? Right. And that lawsuit, I think, ended, I was, we're near the same age. So I, I think it ended around the <laughs> time very, I was in law school. No, it's seriously. very generous of you. No, I, no, I'm now dating myself because I'm like, I think I was almost in law school when this ended because I do remember, you know, some of, some of these cases, you know, some of these older cases, the last time you read it is uh, full cases when you're in law school. Right. Um, but, you know, that one was uh, Carter Bryant, the inventor, uh, was young and working at Mattel in around 2000. So well past the time we would have been playing with Barbies uh, and designing clothes for Barbie uh, when he created Bratz. Although I think at some point later in the case, he said that, uh, or in his legal defense, turned on the fact that he actually came up with this idea when he was on a break from Mattel a couple years earlier. So this idea, you know, when you're creating, when you're an employee to go into the legal aspects of things, since this is a legal podcast, when you're an employee working, you know, within the scope of your employment, generally, whatever you come up with is owned by your employer, you know, copyrights, trade secrets, you know, trade secrets are also something that, you know, if you're working for the company, they own it, right? Like anything, anything you're doing, and then any written work product or designs or things like that. You're working for the company. They own it. It's called, you know, the work for hire doctrine. Otherwise, you know, you'd have to create assignments for everything you do and it would be very cumbersome. And so Mattel's arguing that Carter came up with this while he was working for Mattel and you can't just like take this and go start another company. But not just, sorry, not just working for Mattel, right? Like working on the but Barbie like working line. working on Barbie. Yeah. Creating yeah. Barbie clothes for Mattel, <laughs> creating right? like a competitive, grumpy Barbie, you know, version of Barbie. <laughs> and yeah, they, they claim that, you know, he, that MGA Entertainment who came up out with the Bratz dolls infringe Mattel's copyrights by producing those dolls. And it looks like on appeal, they challenged the jury's verdict. Uh, also that Mattel misappropriated MGA's trade secrets. And, and there was, you know, a lot of a back and forth on that, but there was a really large jury award for an infringement. Copyright infringement was, was found or, you know, they found copyright infringement. And then, you know, there was some back and forth about attorney's fees and, and, and costs and things like that. But there are two sort of competing IP issues going on in that case. But, you know, it's interesting. It was gutsy of them, right, to come up with another line when he'd been working there. You know, usually if somebody came to me with a case like that, I'd be like, yeah, what'd you do? <laughs> you <know? laughs> I just, I think it's, you know, the thing that I think is fascinating about it really is that, like, you have Mattel, right? They come up with a doll that's substantially similar to another doll that exists in the world. They defend a lawsuit against it. Then they turn around and they have like decades of, you know, very aggressive litigation on it. And you see things like, you know, they sue Aqua over the song, but then they, you know, don't sue ever sue Nicki Minaj. And then they remake the song put it in their movie. They sue over the Bratz dolls, but the Bratz dolls have a very prominent place in their movie. And it's like a wink, wink to like the people that are in the know here. And so it's like they're doing both all of the protective things. And then they're actually like using those same things 
in the movie, which I think and is And I think where the movie where the where the movie gets away with it is that the movie was done by Warner Brothers, right? And it's not really it's not Mattel's movie, so it's an artistic work. And so they can, you know, you can make an homage to something else or a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. These might be the Bratz dolls over here and, you know, make people <laughs> think about it and, and juxtaposing those two ideas, you know, against each other. I feel like the movie did that, you know, they, they did that well. Yeah. And and I have to say, I'm sure if the Aqua song was in the movie, there was probably some, like, you do have to pay, like, a fee to perform music, you know, other people's music. So it, that's not... Total fair use. <laughs> I'm sure they <laughs> It also seems like just some basic strategy, right? Like, first you try to squash your enemies, uh, neutralize them by that way. And if you can't do that, then you appropriate them and bring them in. And so <laughs> with the brats, you know, we're bringing them in. With Aqua, we're bringing yeah, them in. Churchill strategy. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love a little bit of strategy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, in these kind of cases, like, oh, this whole area is a lot of strategy. And there's a lot, you know, in the high IP world, like, there's contentious stuff but usually you know like I'm like you usually work it out like people work it out you know like how can we work together how do we figure things out unless you really hate them and then you're like I want nothing to do with them but there's you know often avenues for that kind of amicable let's both help each other yeah well it's interesting because it's like what I've read a lot about this movie, I've seen a lot of interviews with Greta and Brian Gosling and with Margot Robbie. And one of the interviews I saw with or read with Greta Gerwig, she was saying, you know, they'd sit down with the people from Warner Brothers. They'd sit down with the people from Mattel. And she <laughs> said, I'm paraphrasing, but she said there were so many objectionable things in the movie that both Mattel and Warner Brothers could take aim at she said it was almost overwhelming and they couldn't ever point to just one thing and she thinks she benefited as a result of that because they got through so many things including now this very this joke that's become very famous about barbie being a fascist right and like mattel and warner brothers signing off on that i'm Um, using that term yeah (laughs) yeah is really really remarkable i mean it's it's an incredible work of art i think only greta gerwig could have made it um i just I think it's in Margot Robbie you're right Alexis that she spent years trying to get this done or Maggie, Maggie said that yeah, yeah. sorry Maggie yeah. but it's really something it's really something to sit in the movie theater and watch it and know that this is a little bit different than the image that Mattel has been trying to put out about Barbie since the 50s yeah you know I think I don't know as a feminist, you mentioned, you know, my history with the CBA of the Women's History Month. As, as a raging feminist, I guess I'd say <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I was like, this is great. You know, I hadn't even thought of like the world where Barbie is, you know, everything. She can be everything. And that was the, you know, intent behind the dolls that has sort of over the, I guess the, the Bratz girls called that out that, you know, it's making people feel like they should do more. Um, but it, it was empowering. And how often do you see a movie that's so, it kind of gives you chills and you're like, oh my gosh, the whole Supreme Court's women? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, was, I was feeling kind of inspired, honestly. Yeah. Um, I really loved the opening, not the opening scene, which was an ode to my husband's favorite movie, 2001 Space Odyssey. Oh, yes. Which was great. <laughs> but the the opening scene in Barbie world where the women are getting their Nobel Prizes and every one of them gets up and says, I earned this. I'm getting this award because I deserved it, because I worked hard. (laughs) Which, if you go to any any event where a woman's getting an award ever, they're so quick to say, like, it was, you know, it was a team effort and it's not my award. And there's a lot of luck that came into this or whatever. And um, just like there were so many big and little things like that throughout the entire movie that make it just like this really incredible statement about the way women are in the world and the way women could be and like what Barbie thought it was doing and where we are. Yeah. But with that, Alexis, I do think we have to call it a day. Thank you so much for coming. We are going to take our last break and then we are going to be back for Stranger Than Legal Fiction. Interested in getting more calls from potential clients? Consider joining the CBA's lawyer referral service. 
The LRS has provided a valuable service to attorneys in the community for over 80 years by matching clients with attorneys in particular areas of law. The LRS receives 25,000 calls annually and makes over 10,000 referrals to attorneys each year. In the last two years alone, LRS attorneys have been referred several cases that have settled for an excess of $1 million. To learn more, visit www.lrs.chicagobar.org. Are you looking to get away to someplace warm and sunny this winter? Join the Chicago Bar Association CLE Abroad in Mexico. We're headed to Mexico City from March 24th to March 26th with an optional extension trip to beautiful San Miguel Allende from the 27th to the 29th. The trip will include CLE programming for attorneys, as well as tours, cultural experiences, and networking opportunities. Attorneys and their guests are welcome to attend. To learn more and register, visit chicagobar.org backslash Mexico 2024. We hope to see you there. Okay, and we are back for our third and final segment. Alexis, you have co-hosted the pod before, so you know what we're about to do. But this is our last segment where Maggie and I have researched and verified a couple of laws each, one that's real, one that's false. And we're going to quiz you and each other. And this is a high stakes game. There is a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of CBA podcast pride that goes into the person that wins. So I, uh, I've listened over the years, so I know I'm nervous. I'm you're ready? Totally nervous. All right. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> Maggie, do you want to kick us off? Sure, Trish. So, you know, I always like to kind of switch it up when we do our Stranger Than Legal Fiction. I have a question that is patent related. I'm going to give you a true or false. So, only oh, no. one. <laughs> I'm not okay. a patent attorney. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I, I think you have this, Alexis. So okay, only okay. one U.S. president has obtained a patent. Which of the following statements is true and which of the following statements is false? Abraham Lincoln received a patent for a device to lift boats over river obstructions or James Madison received a patent for swim fins. Which one is True, which one is false? I'm going to go with the swim fins because it's, I actually don't know. I haven't heard this one. You think swim fins is true? I'm going to go with swim fins, yeah. Okay. Trish, Miss Rich? So I'm a diver, and I I sort of, and, and I don't know a lot about the history of diving, but I sort of think that if Madison invented some version of swim fins, I would have I think I would know would about Would have that. heard about it? Yeah. Ah, but, uh, see, you've got some bases. I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> but possibly not. You know, I got a lot going on. Right? <laughs> I'm going to go with my boy Abe. It's hard for me to believe that he right. was around a lot of rivers, but he seemed like an industrial guy. I think he worked on a riverboat. So let mm. me, I'm going to go with that one. Okay, so in this case, Miss Rich is correct. Uh, See, I'm not a patent attorney. I have no idea. (laughs) You're an attorney. You're not a patent historian. Two different things. Right, that's true. That's true. So uh, Lincoln was at times a patent attorney, and he was familiar with the patent application process. He did come up Mm. with this device for lifting riverboats, but it was never produced for practical use. Benjamin Franklin, who famously refused to patent his invention, created a number of unique inventions, including swim fins and bifocals. Ah, see, I knew the swim fins were somewhere. It's like, I feel like I'd heard of that somewhere. I mean, they definitely exist. That's a good one, Maggie. Yeah. (laughs) That was great. Okay, so I am going to take us further away than Springfield, Illinois. Um, (laughs) So this is number one. In Switzerland, it is illegal to own only a single guinea pig. Or, number two, in Switzerland, the Air Force is not legally allowed to fly after 5 o'clock p.m. You know, oh, man, a guinea pig. Like, so you can't have one. You need multiple of them. That seems maybe Correct. to keep the family together. The um, pig family. But then I know that Europe has a lot better labor laws than we do in the U.S., so it seems a little bit more, uh, or at least those that protect people's weekends. You hear about the email, like you can't send emails on the weekends or, you know, evening. Um, 
which would be really nice some days uh, in my practice, <laughs> working with like Australia and Europe. Like, yeah. how would you even enforce that? I don't, I don't um, know what you're talking about, Alexis. I love getting emails all weekend, all you? night. All, yeah, all no, weekend, it's my all favorite. night. Like, yep. <laughs> on holidays, send them, yep. guys. <laughs> yep. Go to bed emailing Australia, yep. wake up to the Europe yep. emails. It. It's like, great. <laughs> so I'm just going to go with the 5 p.m. answer because I just want it to be that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're saying the second one is true. The first one is false. Maggie, what say you? Right. I'm going to say that the first one is false. I don't really think that they have like an anti-guinea pig cruelty law that's so specific and that the latter one, the second one is true. But Alexis, I'm with you. I always get it wrong. So we'll see. <laughs> well, today's not your day, Maggie. You always got it wrong again. <laughs> oh, no. What? But Alexis Both of did us. too. <laughs> I got them all wrong. They're yeah. like, you're not coming uh-huh. back. <laughs> so they do have, Maggie, in exactly the opposite of what you just said, they do have a law that protects owning just a single guinea pig. Um, and it's not just guinea pigs, though. It also applies to llamas, horses, goldfish, and Something called a budgie. Do either of you know what that is? I had to look no. it up. No. It's a it's a nickname for a certain kind of bird. But the oh. idea is a few years ago, Switzerland updated a number of laws and put into place some laws to protect animals. And this was one of them. And the thought behind it is that guinea pigs, horses, goldfish, etc., are all social animals and do not do well oh. when See, they that's are That's kind of what I was alone. thinking. Yeah, right. keeping it together, being with somebody. Okay. See, I yeah. should have just gone with my gut and like family focused <laughs> um, ideas. So Switzerland <laughs> yeah. says that it's a form of abuse if you have one of these animals alone. And so it's oh, wow. a it's an animal abuse law. And so that became a law. They also um, enacted a couple of other interesting laws in that same time frame, including that if you have a dog, if you own a dog, all dog owners are required to take a course that teaches you how to take care of your dog. And one that I thought was kind of interesting, if you are a fisherman, you are required to complete a course that um, uh, talks about and teaches you about humane fishing techniques. And so this was part of a package of laws that Switzerland passed a few years ago related to animal safety and animal cruelty and comfort. The Air Force not being allowed to fly after five o'clock PM, which I just thought was kind of funny because like, you know, so if there's an emergency, they're going to be out, right? I yeah, guess. obviously, I mean, right. You're going to have to. So <laughs> I just was that, caught yeah. up in the email selfish <laughs> focus here. So that was a law until 2015. The hours of operation oh, for the see? Air Force okay. We're not were so bad. 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, so not terribly dissimilar than what you're talking about with labor laws. Um, and also, I assume, noise ordinances. But yeah, in 2015, cool. they extended the hours for the Air Force. They could oh. now fly <laughs> from 6 a.m. until 10 p.m. And so, yeah. How that is, is that better? <laughs> See, we're all, it's all encroaching into all of our lives. Just like work all the time. That's okay. It's fun. We like what we do. <laughs> so, um, Alexis, I'm sorry that you did not win Stranger Than Legal Fiction. You do not get all the bragging rights of the podcast, but uh, we loved having you. That is our show for today. Thank you so much for your time and this interesting conversation. I also want to thank, of course, Maggie for being here today and being a valuable member of our podcast crew and executive producer Jennifer Byrne for the work she does behind the scenes that makes this machine work. As always, huge thanks to Adam Lockwood on sound engineering and to everyone in the Legal Talk Network family. They're truly the very best in the business and we are humbled and grateful every day to be able to work with them. Uh, Remember, you can always follow us and send us comments, questions, episode ideas on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or as I think we call it now, X, at CBA at the bar, all one word. Please rate and review us. Leave us your feedback on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. It always helps us get the word out. And until next time, from everyone here at the Chicago Bar Association, thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon at the bar. 